Father, we praise you for you are a faithful God. Even when we're not faithful children. Father, we thank you for that you are good. You're all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. And Father, I just thank you for the fact that you are the father to the fatherless. And to the husband to the widow and to the, the husbandless. And I thank you, Lord. That by the power of your word, you change lives. By the power of your spirit, you change lives. And I pray you would do that today. I pray, Lord, you would give us a deeper desire for you. A desire to walk with you in obedience. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today, today, Lord, they would be completely surrendered to you know the joy and the peace and the love that comes only from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Children, you guys go back to your classrooms. Have a great time with in class. Be nice to Mr. Eric. He's a fragile soul. And at any rate, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you and you can find the 11th chapter of Hebrews on page 947 as we continue in this series, The Cloud of Witnesses. So great to have you all here this morning. And I have a question for you I want to start out with. What do you look forward to? Think about that. What do you look forward to? Now, for some of you, it might be something you ordered on Amazon. Can't wait for it to get here. Did it come today? Did I get a notification? For others, it might be just the weekend. Our weekend is Sunday afternoon and Monday. Always looking forward to Sunday afternoon and Monday. And for some families, you're just looking forward to kids going back to school, right? For some, it might be a vacation. For Pam and I, about six months ago, we scheduled a vacation in Cabo this summer. We scheduled it. Pam got the, found the place for us to stay. It was for our family. I scheduled the, the flights, and then we kind of really didn't think about it. And the closer we got to the date of going, the more focused we came, became, the more we thought about it, the more we started to realize we needed to get ready. We, we had to make sure we had the passports. We had to make sure that we had somebody to watch the dogs. We made sure that, we, uh, that I got a lot of the work that I needed to get off my desk done. And so it went. The closer we got, the more focused we became, the more excited we became. Let me ask you something. What do you look forward to? When you do, it focuses you. It presses you forward. It motivates you. It compels you. So let me follow up with this question. Do you look forward to heaven? Do you look forward to heaven? As Christians, we should look forward to heaven. And when we really understand what heaven is all about, how can we not? But the problem is, with many Christians, we don't really understand heaven. We don't understand the value of heaven, the beauty of heaven, the glory of heaven. A big idea today is this. 
what we focus on or what we look forward to, many instances, will determine how we live. If we're looking forward to heaven, it will change how we live. If you're looking forward to heaven, it all of a sudden changes from the inside out. How you love, how you live. Focus on heaven and it will drive your obedience. It will deepen your faith. It will impact how you live. It will help you press through whatever you might be needing to press through right now. Do you look forward to heaven? The Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 1. Let me put this on the screen. Excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, meaning if you've been united with Christ and united in a resurrection like these, he said, like, like the one he was resurrected, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Have a different type of thinking. Change your focus. For you have died. You've died to your old life in Christ. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. It is through your union with Christ that you have assurance of spending eternity with him. So we've been in Hebrews 11, and Hebrews 11 lists this cloud of witnesses, men and women, who lived in faith. They were known for their faith. This is called the faith chapter. They were the ones that pressed through. They desired something better. We're going to talk about that a lot. They desired something better. They weren't perfect people. (laughs) Let me say that again. My P's got messed up. They weren't perfect people. But they believed God. They were known for their faith. These men and women were saying, listen, we lived lives of faith. We press through. You can too. So what I want to do is I want to read Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. We're going to read down through 16. And then we're going to really focus on just a few verses. Verse 8. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was, and note this, looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. How would you like to be known as? Like he was, that's my husband, he was as good as dead. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. Now, he was 99 when he had Isaac. Were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And then verse 13, these all died in faith, 
Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking, another word to note, they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What do you look forward to? What do you desire? What are you seeking? I want to answer three questions as we look through these texts. Here's the first question. What does it mean to die in faith? What does it mean to die in faith? The author of Hebrews, he pauses as he lists this whole cloud of witnesses. He's gone through a portion of this cloud, but then he stops. And he makes a sweeping statement in verse 13. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He said, these all died. Well, who all died? Who all died in faith? Well, those he's just spoken about. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and by extension from verse 9, because they were his descendants that also received the promise, Isaac and Jacob. They all died in faith. They were those that desired something better. These all died in faith, meaning they were still living by faith when they died. If you have an NIV, it really says that. They were living by faith when they died. Now, what is faith? Well, John, or John Piper says this. Faith is desiring God. Faith is desiring God. In fact, he expands it. He says, faith is desiring God more than the world, more than the things of this world. And so when we fight for faith, it's a fight for a desire for God. I was challenged this week. How's my faith? How's my desire for God? Is that really, when I come to church on Sunday, am I desiring God? When I open up my Bible, am I just opening it up so I can now mark it off my list? Or do I want to experience the presence of God? Is it because I desire to be with him, to learn from him, to, to sense his presence in my life? These all died in faith. They lived by faith, they, des- they died in faith. The encouragement for us is no matter what the circumstances are that we're going through, we can live by faith up until the point that we die. It's the idea of pressing on, it's pers- persevering. That's why Jesus says those that endure to the end will be saved. And what he's not saying is that you endure to the end so you can be saved. He's saying those that truly are saved endure to the end. 
because they're compelled to endure to the end. Listen to what Kent Hughes says about faith in these men. He says, in a world that constantly tests faith, speaking of these, they all passed with flying colors, living by faith up to the last breath. Lord, let that be me. Living by faith up until the last breath. In verse 13, we get this stunning statement where he says, they all died in faith, and here it is, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. In fact, in in chapter uh, 11, verse 39, we see that again. He says in verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They looked ahead. Now, if you know your Bible, and many of you do, you might be saying, well, didn't Abraham make it to the promised land? Didn't Sarah have a child of promise? The fact is, they did, yes. But they didn't see the full promise of God God fulfilled in their lives. They saw them from afar. Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah were told that they would be a great, that out of their loins would be a great nation. But they never really saw that. Abraham was told to go a play, to a place, to Canaan, a place he didn't know. But he never got to have the full benefit of living there. Let's look back at verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So let's talk about Abraham and where he started. Abraham was a citizen of Ur, located on the Euphrates River in in Mesopotamia, which is today known as southern Iraq. Ur was a cultural hub. It had educational facilities. It was known for business and, and, and its religious centers. And though advanced, it was it was gripped by paganism. And Abraham was an idolater. In fact, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, it spoke about the fact that Abraham worshipped other gods. He served other gods, little g. And while living a pagan and idolatrous life, we, we learned that the glory of God appeared to him. Now, where do we learn that? We see that in Acts chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. Let me put that up. This is Stephen, who's now making this incredible speech before the, sin, before the religious leaders. He says, and Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Here he was, a a pagan worshiper, serving other gods, and he gets this word from God. And he believed God's word, and by faith he went out, not knowing where he was going. Now, you got to live in the text sometimes. you got to understand what that day must have been like when he went home to Sarah. I don't know if she was working in the kitchen or what she was doing. And he comes home and he says, honey, Sarah, dear, pack your bags. We're moving. Sarah goes, "Uh, where are we going? Abraham, 
I don't know, but the, God, but the God of glory, he appeared to me and he said, leave your people, leave your land, leave your home and go to a place that I'm not going to tell you, but I'll tell you later on. Sarah, honey, I love you, but this is our home. These are our people. And you're telling me to leave here and to go nowhere all because some God of glory told you that we should? Abraham, you've been eating those mushrooms again. Now, that's a little bit of an embellishment because what we know from Scripture is nowhere do we see Sarah resisting. But they left their home to go to live in tents in a land that they did not know. Look at verse 8 again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him, the same promise. So not only are they leaving their house, but now they're going to be camping. They're living in tents. They've gone from living in this cultural center to being foreigners in a land that was so different for them. Abraham took God at his word. His obedience was outward evidence of an inward faith. Let me say that again. His obedience was an outward exhibit of an inward faith. He had been moved from the inside out. He didn't need to do much other than just to believe God. And he went. Listen to what Kent Hughes said. This is my second quote by Kent Hughes. He says, faith spawns reflective steps of obedience. I love that. It steps out. We must not imagine that we have faith if we do not obey. Are we truly, are we truly obeying God's word to us? Has he been calling us to a specific task or action? but we have passively ignored it. Let me say what I said again. His obedience was an outward evidence of an inward faith. So let me ask you, are you living by faith? We see this with Abraham in verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. God promised the land of Canaan to Abraham. But the fact is, during his life, he never received the inheritance. But he trusted that it would be, it would be inherited to his offspring. In fact, we see in Acts chapter 7, Stephen continues, he says, yet he gave him, being God, no inheritance in it, and not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Abraham believed that God would give this land to his family, to his offspring. The reality is the only land that Abraham ever owned was the land that he bought for Sarah's tomb. Now that's not an inheritance. That's a purchase. As believers, we're called to step out in obedience and follow Christ as he leads us and directs us. We may not know where he's taking us, 
but we're to walk by faith and to be willing sojourners looking forward to our ultimate inheritance. Here's the point. Don't get too comfortable in this world. This world is not our home. God has prepared something better for us. We live by faith by looking forward, by looking forward knowing that we're on a pilgrimage to a glorious city. And the closer we get, the more spurred on we are. Look at verse 10. For he was, why would he leave? Verse 10 tells us, says, for he was, um, I'm going to find verse 10 again. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking beyond his present circumstances. He was looking beyond the horizon of whatever he was going through. He was looking for the city that, that was designed and built by God. That spurred him on. That allowed him to be obedient to God because he, he took his eyes off of what he was looking at down at his feet and he was looking beyond. It allowed him to live by faith. Before Pam and I met, I was living in Newport Beach and I started building up in Las Vegas. And so what I would do is I would go home to Newport Beach on the weekends and I would drive up to... Las Vegas during the week, and many times I would drive up on Sunday night, and I would remember that as I'm driving across, I mean, it's not a beautiful drive at all. As you're driving across the desert, I always remember looking for the glow. When would I first see the glow of Las Vegas? It's very different than Phoenix. You know, Phoenix has these low-sodium lights. You don't have a lot of light pollution here, but Las Vegas, I mean, it's like everything goes. And so you can be 60 miles out and start to see the glow. And the closer you get, the brighter it gets. And, and, and what it did was it would spur you on. It's like, okay, I'm leaving Newport, going to Las Vegas. What's wrong with this picture? And like, I want to go back. I didn't know my wife was, my future wife was living there. But if I'd known, I'd really been excited. But, but what, what happened is the closer I would get the more I would be spurred on. See, Abraham, along with the other patriarchs, they saw the glow of the heavenly city in the distance. And they didn't look back. Abraham went from a permanent home to living in a tent. He was a sojourner with his eyes looking forward to the city that has foundations, a city designed and built by God. He looked to a time of no more camping, no more wandering, no more sojourning. To the city, the foundations. Back to 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Even though they didn't receive the things promised, they saw them from afar. It compelled them. It pushed them forward. And you might be saying, what do you mean they saw them? They saw God's faithfulness with eyes of faith. My pastor, the church that we got saved in, Jack Graham, and the church we started in full-time ministry, he used to say this, and I'll put it up on the screen. 
If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. That kind of took me a while to get that. I'm sure you guys will get a lot faster than I. If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. It's really a vision. If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. Now, when we started this church four years ago, handful of families, we believed by faith that God would build his church. We saw it. We believed by faith that God would build his church. And despite difficult circumstances, we trusted God's uh, promises. We looked to his glory, to a future glory. We knew that God is faithful and we rested in that. Now, were there times we wanted to turn back? <laughs> a lot. I mean, those Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. at Valley View Bible Church buried in, 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 uh, in Paradise Valley, those were tough days, especially when football season came. I had to explain what a DVR was so people like, well, we're going to watch the game. Cardinals are on. You have a DVR you sh if you don't get one. I mean, I'm thinking we need to get a fund so we can buy one for people. Those were hard days. Yet look at where we are today. We looked forward with eyes of faith. We saw what it could be. The fact is, if you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. These men and women, they died in faith. Why? Because they saw it. They looked forward. They desired a better country. Faith presses on. It looks beyond your present circumstances. It trusts the promises of God. It looks to a future glory. We know God is faithful and we rest in that. We're spurred on and motivated and encouraged by that. That's living by faith and that allows us to die in faith. That leads us to the second question. This will go a little bit quicker. What is our motivation to die in faith? What motivation do we have to die in faith? Look again at verse 13 at the end. It says, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Again, they knew that this world was not their home. And then their motivation to die in faith is seen in verse 14 and following. It says, for the people who speak thus, who understand that this world is not their home, that they're only sojourners and exiles, thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. That word seeking, it's to look forward. It's in the present active tense. They're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Their motivation, our motivation to die in faith is to look beyond the horizon of this world and re realize that we're on a journey to an ultimate homeland, a city. Designed and built by God, a homeland, not made with temporary tents, but a city with foundations. Abraham didn't look back, he looked forward. In fact, those who die in faith look forward. Abraham could have gone back. He could have gone back to Ur. He could have gone back to Haran. He could have gone back there to, to bury his family, but he continued to look forward. Nothing kept him from going back except his faith in God's promises. I think that's so instructive for us. 
For us to continue to go forward, we have to trust in God's promises. As people of God, we don't look back, but we look forward, convinced that God's promises are true. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, here it is, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Jesus, let those of us who are mature Think this way. It's this idea of pressing forward, of of looking forward. What are you looking forward to? Are you looking forward to heaven? Yet often as believers, we can focus on our old life. We can romanticize it. We can dwell on it. And before we know it, we turn back. But those who live by faith look to the land of head, to the promises of God and the glory laid up for them. Listen to what Luke uh, 9.62 says. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We don't look back, we look forward. We learn from the past, but we look forward. We press forward as Christians. That's why Lot was told, don't look back. Don't look back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't look back. Lot's wife looked back, didn't she? She turned into a pillar of salt. I remember when Pam and I were, we moved away from Las Vegas, we moved to Dallas. I said, Pam, don't look back. (laughs) Do not look back. And guess what? She's not a pillar of salt. She kept looking forward, thankfully. I'm not a pillar. If anyone was going to be a pillar of salt, it would have been me. You look at Numbers chapter 11 and following. The nation of Israel has been delivered out of Egypt, out of bondage. And then they, they start circling around in the wilderness. And the people started to complain. And they started to romanticize what it was like back in Egypt. Remember, they were crying out to God. They were like, save us. You know, the taskmasters were saying, more bricks, less straw. And they were like, they were crying out, get us out of here. And all of a sudden, they started to romanticize. Here they'd been freed from bondage, freed from their time in Egypt. And then they started to think about how great the garlic was back there. Now, I don't get that. How great the leeks were, the meat, the fish. They're romanticizing. Let's go back. I'm glad that never happens to us, right? Or does it? The fact is, prior to Christ, we were living as slaves to sin. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all like that. Yet God sent a deliverer, Jesus, a greater Moses, who purchased our freedom by sending his son, a substitute, a sacrifice in our place on the cross. He provided a way for us to have 
eternal life to enter into the promised land through his son to a heavenly home. Yet we can forget. Ephesians 1 reminds us of our identity of, in Christ, that he chose us, he loved us, he pretend, predestined us, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, that he's adopted us, he's redeemed us, he's graced us. He's given us an inheritance. He gave us hope. He sealed us with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Yet at some time in our lives, we can, we can stop reflecting on our identity in Christ. We can forget the homeland that we've been promised. We can forget that we're strangers and exiles here on earth, and we start thinking, this is our home. And we start grabbing everything we can and holding on to it tightly. We romanticize what life apart from Christ might be like. My prayer is maybe this message will wake some of us up. Remind us of who we are in Christ, of of what's been purchased for us. That it would compel you to run with endurance the race that's been set before you. The fact is when we realize that this world is not our home, we desire a better country, a heavenly one. When these folks of the Old Testament focused on the city that has foundations, the city that is their heavenly home, they no longer thought of returning to the place that they had gone out. That's what it says here in verse 14 again. He says, for the people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But... As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They look forward. God, help us to look forward. Abraham had the assurance of things hoped for. All of these did. The conviction of things not seen. And it was this faith that reserved their place in the heavenly city. And it is that faith that reserves your place in the heavenly city. See, it is your faith in Christ. It's your desire for Christ. It's turning from your sin and trusting in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives you assurance of of eternal life, of knowing you will spend time in the heavenly, you will spend eternity in that heavenly city. I said time. Yeah, a lot of time, forever. Look again at verse 16. He says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Better. It's a word that's used throughout Hebrews. A reminder that Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than sacrifices. He's better than the temple. He's better than the priests. Once again, but as it is, they desire a better country. Here's where we see those who lived and died in faith, they desired something better. God has reserved for all of us that are in Christ something better, a better country. And if we just woke up every day thinking that way, we would look beyond our present circumstances. We would trust in his promises We would look to the future glory. They weren't focused on earthly enjoyment. They were focused 
on a better country. That word desire, it's to eagerly long for, it's to strive to attain. It's the idea of stretching out one's hand to reach for. Faith is desiring God, and it's desiring God above and beyond anything of this world. They died in faith, or they died, they lived by faith, and they died in faith. So the writer here is reminding us that everything is infinitely better in Christ. That's our motivation. But finally, let me end with this. What is the result of dying in faith? What's the result? Look at verse 16, second part. Therefore, as a result of all this, this is a, just an amazing statement. God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. This is the result of their faith. God is not ashamed to be called their God. I can't think of any other verse in the Bible that even comes close to saying something like that. When we live by faith and die in faith, God is not ashamed. They were a sinful and fallen group of people. But as a result of their faith in Jesus and their trust in the future glory, he, uh, 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 the future glory that he promised, God wasn't ashamed to be called their God. That's the result of living and dying by faith. God was not ashamed of them, and he prepared a city, a heavenly city, a kingdom for them. So I love John Chapter 14, when Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 25, 34, it says that he, he's prepared uh, for us a kingdom before the formation of even the world. When we live by faith and die in faith, we know we will join that cloud of witnesses in the heavenly city. The reality, though, is life can be hard. At times, our strength can fail us. We go through difficult times. We live in a broken and fallen world. Some of us have experienced deep tragedy, deep hurts. But when we look to what he has promised us, it strengthens us to press forward. So I want to return to my, my original question. What do you look forward to? See, when you have something to look forward to, it focuses you, it motivates you, it compels you, it com encourages you to press on. Do you look forward to heaven? Do you look beyond your present circumstances? Do you focus on God's promises? Do you look toward a future glory? I'm going to have our worship team come up here as I read something I read in the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. In fact, I was just thinking, the women Bible study that's starting up on September 15th is going to study heaven. And I'm telling you, you do a study on heaven, ladies, guys, you can't sneak in. But if you, you do a study on heaven, it changes you from the inside out. It compels you. 
Randy Alcorn, in his book, On Heaven, says this. He says, perhaps you've come to this book burdened. This is in his introduction. Discouraged, depressed, or even traumatized. Perhaps your dreams, your marriage, career, or ambitions have crumbled. Perhaps you've become cynical or have lost hope. A biblical understanding of the truth about heaven can change all of that. Then he tells this story. In 1952, young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island. Picture of Catalina Island off in the distance there. About 22 miles from Long Beach. She was determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in a boat alongside told her she was close and that she could make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Alcorn says this, consider her words. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. For believers, that shore is Jesus and being with him in the place that he promised to prepare for us, where we will live with him forever. The shore we should look for is that of the new earth. If we can see through the fog and picture our eternal home in our mind's eyes, it will comfort and energize us. Look to the city. Look to the heavenly city the place that God has promised us, it spurs you on. You could press forward, press to him. As I close out, there's just a couple things I want to say. Some of you, you know you're struggling with your desire to be with the Lord. If you get real honest with yourself, there just hasn't been that desire and I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would give you a desire, a heart, a, a just a passion to be with him, to have his presence in your life. For some of you, maybe you've struggled even to be obedient. Your faith is there, but it's not strong enough just to obey when he calls you. The third group I'd like to pray for are those that have never received Christ. And maybe God is calling you to himself today. Maybe he's saying, just open up your hands. Let go. Let go of trying to just do this, this life in your own strength, in your own power. Turn from your sin and self and turn to Jesus. Trust him. His promises are true. Great is his faithfulness. We sang about that. Father, I thank you for loving us, for your goodness and your grace. Father, I pray first for those people that, if they're honest, they know they're struggling in their desire for you. And I pray that you would give them a deep desire to be with you, 
to be in your presence, to sense your love, to sense your comfort, to sense your forgiveness, to have hope, hope of eternity, hope of glory because of you. Lord, I pray they would wake up every day desiring you. Lord, I also pray for those that struggle to be obedient to you and to your word. Continue to try to do things in their own strength, their own power, their own wisdom. Lord, forgive them for that. Give them such a faith that obedience is immediate. Now, Lord, most importantly, I pray for those that don't know Jesus, that don't have a personal relationship. Lord, we know that Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. We know that there is rest in Jesus. You know, Jesus says, abide in me. I pray that they would abide in you. I pray even as at the end of the services, we have people up here that to pray. I pray that these folks would come up and say, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Will you pray for me? Lord, help us to look forward. Help us to look to the celestial city. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.